Welcome back, Cal listeners. This is Methodical Millions, episode 33. So Cal, last time we talked about raising capital as a business, what would you do if you did complete raising that round? And what do you think is important when you decide where that money goes? Personally, I'm just not the expert on the matter from a business perspective, but what I believe is a lot of the companies, especially those that are seeking quite a lot of growth, would really put into the research and development, proving their product or service, trying to stand out by providing something that others are not. And that's basically what most of them try to seek out in the first place in their initial product or initial service and try to get the funding through. So once they get that funding, the goal is usually to really put into development of the product or research and development of the services as well. That brings me to a good analogy I want to ask you about. So you're the king of motorsports, of racing. What does an F1 team do with $100 million or however much money they use for the season? I'm hardly the king, but yes, I do have quite a lot of interest in motorsport. And Formula One might be a tricky example because each team can have a different budget for the season. A top works manufacturer's team would have a budget, for example, three to $400 million staff in terms of engineers, mechanics, designers, and all of that put together could be around over a thousand people, you know, their own wind tunnel up to 60% scale for the vehicle. So usually the larger the scale, the more expensive the facility is and the research that's going into it. So a hundred million could, for some teams, take them just quarter way through the season, where some other teams could perhaps survive with 40 million, 50 million annually of expenses and spending, but they're working at a much smaller scale. They're all competing on the same field, racing the same races. But at the end of the day, it kind of does show that the larger teams with the larger budget would be able to excel quicker, would be able to have an advantage compared to smaller teams. It's not always the case because those smaller teams in terms of budget sometimes could be played the underdog and with a good team, good talent, engineers and racing drivers, they could still come and shine ahead. But in the long run, it seems that the larger the budget usually gives you quite a significant advantage, at least in terms of motorsport. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think why I always say money is an accelerant, money is fuel, because it's a chicken or egg problem. Does money make you a winner or does your drive and ingenuity make you the winner? And I think money backing the smartest entrepreneurs is probably the right recipe there. So you touched on some good things on staffing, on R&D, on a facility and all those things. And I think those are core components to a business. And for years and years, I know for techie people, the mantra was go to Silicon Valley, put up an office there. Even if it's just your headquarters, brush shoulders with smart people, you can maybe find good hires there people who have experience on working on what you're working on. Whereas if you were in Alaska or Indonesia, maybe your chances are a lot less. So understanding the ecosystem of how a business comes from zero to one, as it's called, how do you go from nothing to something, I think is quite interesting. And I'm pretty sure I can name two really big companies that have actually shifted with the whole pandemic to a work from home culture. And off the top of my head, I can name Twitter, I think they were one of the early ones to publicly announce that they're going to go work from home. 
because the efficacy of employees doesn't have to be in a closed box at that point. So whether they're at a certain scale or how that company dynamic works just doesn't necessitate an office. You'll probably save 10, 20, 50 grand a month on rent and your burn rate goes way down. So if productivity is flatter up and you can save money, I think that is a fundamental decision every company should make. And I don't think any of that is set in stone, but as an entrepreneur or leader, I would suggest that one should be able to do that mental calculation and say, what's best for my business? Where can I spend my dollar or my time and make that decision? So Coinbase is another one. They're a marketplace for crypto. And that company decided to also do a work from home culture. It's a bit shocking because I know my parents aren't used to that. I'm barely used to that. I have some things I do on the side, but people are thrown into it. So businesses that can adapt and thrive in a changing environment or changing consumer demands or changing needs of the market, I think are the ones who will do well long-term. So I guess as a tangent, allocating your time is just as important as allocating your money and how fast do you learn and grow? What's your feedback loop on product iterations? I did want to touch on that, Cal. So Aside from the fundamentals of staffing and building and all that, how does an F1 team decide if it's worth spending $10 million on tire technology or braking? How do they decide where the money goes? Not to be pedantic here, but tire development is usually done by the tire manufacturer. So there's one a single manufacturer at the moment in Formula One, who's Pirelli. And they are providing the tires. They're doing their own testing with regards to tire grip, degradation, and things like that, and how it applies to pressure and certain power loads at certain speeds. So that part is mostly done by a different manufacturer, but each team needs to understand how that tire works with their own specific car. So when it comes to each team and where do they shift their spending, it is kind of like you as an individual, right? So if you think that your expenses are increasing and you'd like to try to be more efficient with your money, you try to see where there is the largest room for improvement. All the data they collect from their testing, from the races, they gather so much data on every single thing from the moment the driver accelerates, which second, how it affects on each single lap, on each single corner, how the brakes are affected, the load of the aerodynamics at certain speeds, at certain corners, the lateral grip, all of that comes into play. So they might see that our car is very fast in a straight line, but when it comes to going around the corner, because it's coming to the corner too fast, we are not very efficient with our brakes. So we lose a lot of time throughout the lap to our competitors in terms of braking. So they try to develop their brakes. Instead of maybe shifting some money out of their powertrain department, which provides the speed of the vehicle, to maybe more towards their braking. This is very, very generic and very general in layman's terms, but that I believe goes to even most individuals or even businesses. And I would assume the same would go for entrepreneurs and private companies or even public companies. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head from the homework I've done on startups and companies who eventually become a breakout success. What makes them uniquely different from the incumbents? So it could be just some kind of innovation that makes the product way, way better. So as the saying goes, are you 10x better than the competition? And 
how fast are you improving? So speed of improvement is always an interesting question because to improve, you have to develop. And to develop, you have to think, you have to go to the core principles of something and be willing to turn over the accepted fundamentals of something. And if you're an established company, I think that's hard because you're in middle management or you're an employee and you don't want to get fired. You don't want to be too radical or maybe your opinions will fall on deaf ears. So there's a reason why startups tend to do better is because they're willing to take risks and test and try things. And I like what you said about finding out where the most you can improve at once, I think is a key point here. So if I'm part of a startup and I'm just on my own or maybe with a co-founder, even Instagram had 10 employees when they had something like 100 million users. So more is not always better. And your decision-making process is probably the more important point. So it's not about having the most amount of money in the bank or my company raised $10 million more than your company and we're competitors. I don't think that is the winning factor. I think what you said about where do you see the most improvement is crucial. And that ties into your vision of long-term, what do you want your product to do? Do people love your product? And to decide, I love the analogy of noticing, well, we got to spend more money on brakes as opposed to acceleration. And I would say any business is similar. So product, sales, customer, service, all those kinds of things go hand in hand. And if your product's good, but it's hard to use, do you have an onboarding plan? Do you have someone who can call each business client to learn how to use it or else they'll just abandon it? And again, that's called your churn. So these are all factors that will come into play in measuring the pulse of your business and where do you need to spend your time? Where do you need to spend your money? I'm going to go through some basic growth fundamentals for you. So you've raised money. Let's say you raised a million dollars and you want to grow. The most common way of growing today is spending on Google and Facebook ads. I heard a stat that Google and Facebook take about 40% of startup capital because people just pump that money into the machine of getting more customers. And you can only spend so much on product development if it's a software app before you have diminishing returns. And then you want to get your product out there. You want to have your go-to-market strategy. It just happens to be that Google and Facebook know a lot about your customers, about anyone really. And that's the most quote-unquote efficient way to essentially join a space and to connect with the millions of customers out there. So back to the analogy of you're not a retail store when you do software, your customers are everywhere. And you got to filter through them one way or another. So we did kind of touch on it before, but back to what's the cost of getting a customer? So are you going to spend $10 a customer? It's called your customer acquisition cost. And if you can spend $10 per customer and a customer will spend $20 that year in profit, why would you not do that? That's unlimited money. So it's almost like a video game hack where buying a customer is a known quantity. And I know the term sounds really bad, customers should want to use your product. You're not essentially buying them, but that's the term that's used because it's a known number to get them in front and use your product. And if they become customers that love your product, that means it's a good product. You don't have to feel bad about spending some advertising dollars or getting in front of them. And we can discuss the virality of something which we touched upon as well. Think about that. You raised money to grow. So are you going to hire a head of marketing? Are you going to hire a CFO, maybe someone's better at accounting than you are at operations, at running the number side where you're more of the vision guy or gal. And those are the decisions you want to make. What's the culture of the business going to be like? Are you a work from home culture? Do you have foosball tables as Google was known for? 
what are your core principles? What are your values as a business? And I've heard that that's super important early on or else from employee one to employee 100, you won't even recognize your own company anymore. It's definitely a fine art. If you spend a dollar, measure that dollar. Did you get the result you wanted? And a lot of it's a science experiment in spending and measuring and then retesting and all that kind of stuff. So that would be my suggestion, which is when you're growing a small branch of your business in a specific area, I would see and measure the results. So Tesla's famous for spending $0 on advertising. And you can argue, I mean, the CEO is all over Twitter and he's got a huge following, but use that to your advantage. Why would you not, right? That product gets better all the time. They just released full self-driving in beta form all over the US. And who's doing that? Who's releasing software updates to make your car that good from the conventional brands? No one. And selling online, you get your car delivered to you. That's insane. So these are all examples of making a standout product where people will gravitate. In the cliche iPhone example, there's no substitute. There's really no substitute to the best product. And those are the companies that become the outliers, the household name brand. And those are the companies that survive. They will survive pandemics. They will survive things like that. I love what you use there with regards to Tesla and how they use no money to advertise. Like you said, take advantage of what you've got. So their CEO uses his Twitter feed to really push about any news about the products or services they are providing. And it seems to be working fantastically. So imagine trying to advertise for a company like Tesla, right? I would think the budget for your traditional company of that caliber would be enormous. The fact they're doing what they're doing is very, very impressive. And that's where they can use that money towards software development and provide something like no other manufacturer provides. Just don't want to repeat what you said, but it's an eye-opener here. And it's quite something because for those of you who would be even following Tesla's financials and earnings, the difference between advertising and not advertising could actually be the difference between having a profitable quarter and having a losing quarter. Yeah, it definitely makes a difference. No matter what your scale is, and you talked about scale too, which is good. So how do you make your dollar work for you the furthest it possibly could, depending on where you are? So even if you're worth billions of dollars, Tesla's approach is not, okay, we're going to just sell three cars and that's it. They're building Cybertruck, Roadster, Semi. They've got so many new projects on the go and they've branched out to Tesla Insurance. They've branched out to Tesla Energy. And these are all like mini companies where... They have limited budgets and their mandate is to disrupt those industries to make the user experience better, to make the cost of ownership better, to just wow customers. And that might not pay off for five, seven years. But the fact that I can go Amazon Prime something same day in Canada and two hours in New York is phenomenal. No company's doing that besides Amazon. So there's clear investments that where you spend your money if you work hard enough, will pay off. And if you have principles that guide you, whether it's customer obsession or product obsession, when's the last time Amazon advertised? Maybe you now see advertising on Amazon boxes. And this is how smart Jeff Bezos is. Jeff takes every expense item of Amazon and turns it into a revenue stream. So free shipping is a way to get customers. I'm a fan of that. I don't want to pay shipping. And the fact that it's fast, I'm an instant customer for life. That's an expense for Amazon. What does Amazon do? They start putting Prime advertisements for Prime Video or for maybe a Chevy truck. And now companies are paying to put their eyes in front of customers because Amazon's so huge. 
So how brilliant is that for someone like Jeff to do that and turn a negative into a positive? And I think it does come down to the ingenuity of the leader of the CEO. And that's why there's not a hundred Amazons, there's one. It's just really brilliant to see that turn into something. And the fact that a lot of people will sit in their chairs and say, yeah, that's not possible or it's already been done. How many more times do you have to see this over and over for us or other people to realize there's always an opportunity? It's not going to be another Amazon, but there's so many businesses out there. Do you hate your cell phone company? Well, Elon Musk just released Starlink, which is satellite internet connection. I just signed up to be on the beta for Canada. Hopefully that comes through. So what's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to get satellite internet from them. It's going to communicate with their cars. How do you get a self-driving fleet of cars to work all around the world? Well, you have a satellite internet service. There's so many compounding effects that this innovation will have that it just blows my mind. And I will bet money that that's going to be on Mars as well. And this is how forward thinking some of these visionaries are. They don't look at, well, what is this going to give me dollar for dollar today? What is this going to pay off in the future? So spending a dollar today might give you 10 or 100 or or $1,000 in value back. And once you grow to scale and you're the world's leading internet provider or e-commerce service, you could get displaced. It's not a guaranteed thing, but that's very powerful where down the line you become an unstoppable force. Yeah, absolutely. And very good points you made there. You don't have to actually be another Amazon or be another Google or any of these tech giants, right? The opportunity is so big. There's so many things out there. All they have to do is provide something that others are not and that people are looking for. You know, there's a need in the market for something. You cater to that need. And that's a very efficient and viable solution and a scalable solution. And you will have customers lining up for you. It sounds simple in theory. Obviously, in practice, it's not as easy. And hence why we don't see all these companies being successful from the get-go. But in theory, the idea is there. And if you're able to take that dollar and being able to stretch it where it can get you the most, so whether you're a Formula One team trying to get every second extra from the car in terms of speed, where you're you know, one of the tech giants or any other company, you're trying to take that dollar and make it work the hardest for you so you can be that much more ahead of your competitors and there for your customers, really. Yeah, exactly. I think deciding where your money goes has got to be one of the top two or three most important things for sure for a new business or any business, no matter what your scale is. So we'd love to hear from you. Let us know if you are running a business or you want to, where would you put your money? What are your top two or three choices? Drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. So with that said, thanks everyone for tuning in today. That was Methodical Millions. Episode 33. If you'd like to follow future episodes, you can find us at methodicalmillions.com or info at methodicalmillions.com for episode feedback. Thanks, everyone.